Hi there. Welcome to the Jewelry Navigator podcast, an on-the-go source of original and unique jewelry with stories of the designers who create it. My name is Brenna Pakes. I'm a graduate gemologist with a degree in geology. I've worked in the retail sector for over 15 years. After completing my graduate gemology diploma and working in the industry for a little while, I took an intermittent career break and worked for a major airline. That's why I combine the theme of aviation and the concept of navigating shoppers to choices of unique jewelry, as well as understanding gem selection and jewelry construction, as well as metal choices. I do a coordinating blog post for every podcast showing photos of the jewelry that we're talking about, as well as links to the jewelers and more information about them. So I hope you enjoy the episodes and feel free to subscribe for your Jewelry Navigator Passport, a way to stay up to date with the current episodes and upcoming features. Thanks so much for joining us and enjoy the episode. Hi there. Thanks so much for joining me today on Jewelry Navigator. I know you have a choice in podcasts and I'm truly grateful you chose to listen to Jewelry Inspiration and Tips. If you've missed the most recent episodes, last week I shared bridal jewelry and industry trends with third-generation jeweler and designer Sarah Hodson of Sarah Machiko Designs. The week before that, I shared travel safety tips for jewelry and personal belongings with tips from a few of my flight attendant crew friends. There's a bank of episodes waiting for you on Jewelry Navigator Podcast, and you can find that and subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on, like iTunes, I'm on Spotify, as well as Podbean and Google Play Music. What I'm really excited about is as of today's recording, there are over 3,500 downloads, and I thank you so much for being a loyal listener, but I need your help. If you've enjoyed listening and hearing the stories and jewelry tips I've been sharing so far, please leave a review in iTunes or on whatever platform you listen to the podcasts on. It'll help me so much. It'll help other listeners find the podcast so that they can be smart shoppers too. I'm happy to give shout outs to those who take the time to reach out like my flight attendant friend Haley, who's been loyally following and supporting me. Thanks so much, Haley. She and I used to fly together in based out of DC, and now she's based in Dallas. But I so appreciate all of you taking the time to listen and return every week and would really love to hear from you. So either leave a review or and or reach out and say hello. I'd love to learn more about what you want to hear about on the podcast. If you sign up for your Jewelry Navigator Passport, I'll be sharing some special tip sheets like how to spring clean your jewelry and what to look for in a jeweler, but you can only get access to them through the email, through the Jewelry Navigator Passport, which you can find and subscribe to on my website, and that's jewelrynavigator.com. So we have an on-time podcast arrival. We're ready for departure. So cross-check your sparkle. Thanks so much. As if designing and creating jewelry wasn't exciting enough, this jeweler that I'm talking with today had the unique opportunity to design the pageant crown from Miss Denmark. Yes, a crown for real. 
Mary Vandera is an accomplished gemologist and jeweler who partners with Todd Wax of Tucson Todd Gems. I met Mary at the Tucson Gem Show just this past February, and it was just such a delight to meet her, and I was so excited to take a tour and visit with some of her gemstones and, of course, trying on some of the jewelry that she's created with these fabulous gemstones. Some of the things we discussed are her adventures of designing the pageant crown, what inspires her to create unusual designs with the uniquely and custom-faceted colored gemstones, and what goes into setting the value of jewelry. Smart and resourceful, Mary has been an instructor for GIA in their residential jewelry design and fabrication courses, and now, of course, is partner with Todd Wax, who facets the gems she uses to make her jewelry. Mary's jewelry and craftsmanship has been featured in several publications and two podcasts, including most recently in Rappaport Magazine's article by Diana Jarrett entitled Tantalizing in Tanzania, January of 2019. Southern Jewelry News also covered the story of Mary designing the crown for Miss Denmark in a piece called Fit for Miss Denmark, Project of Passion is the crowning glory for U.S. team. It takes an American village to make a crown for Miss Denmark. And that was in the November of 2016 publication. She's also been featured in Lapidary Journal. That's so hard to say. <laughs> Lapidary Journal Jewelry Artist featuring Mary's piece, Orbit, on the cover of the magazine. That was from the January-February edition 2019. She's been featured in Gemology Worldwide podcast entitled Tucson 2019, The Gem Extravaganza. And then I featured her just a few weeks ago in my podcast entitled Treasures of the 2019 Tucson Gem Show. And you can go back and listen to that. It not only features Mary, but some of the other artists and gem specialists that I met in Tucson and some of the other adventures that I had. To read up on other publications that Mary and her jewelry and gems have been featured in, you can visit her webpage in the press section, the press page of her website, and that's maryvanderaa.com, Mary, V-A-N-D-E-R-A-A.com. I truly enjoyed visiting with Mary in person in Tucson as well as on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me and enjoy the episode. Well, I can't tell you how much fun it was to meet you in Tucson. I, it's funny because I remember trying to cover as much ground as I could, first of all. And mm-hmm. it just lucked out that the Pueblo show was kind of close to where my hotel was. Oh, God, the show is so big. Yeah. It's just a huge show. It's so hard to see it all. I don't blame you. Yeah. But thank God you did make it by. It was great to see you. It, yeah, it was really, it was really exciting. But I remember seeing your Tucson Todd poster and thinking, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, where did I see that name? And then I remembered I had posted, I had reposted one of your Aria necklaces a few yeah. before. Yep. I am so glad I made the connection and found you because that, that was really, truly one of the highlights of the show. And it was, oh, thank you. Thank you. It's yeah. so great to meet you, too. I just get so excited about colored stones because there are so many different uh, ones. Oh, I agree 100%. You know, I was raised and everything was diamond, 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 and you're going to get engaged one day and it's going to be a diamond. And then you find out about so many different fabulous colored stones that there are. You know, some of them, and they're, they would be the same in an engagement ring for durability and whatnot. And it's so amazing, like garnets, for example. 
Before I became a gemologist, I had no idea they came in so many colors. I honestly thought that you could have rhodolite or Mozambique. Which one would you like? You know? Mm-hmm. It's crazy, the rainbow of colors. Just, it's such beauty comes out of the earth, I tell you what. It is. I know. So tell me about your background. I don't know anything about your background beyond you having being a graduate gemologist. Well, my background, I come from a small town in Michigan, uh, Port Huron, right on the border to Canada there. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a couple jobs, I guess, when I started out, and I was uh, working at a tuxedo shop at the time when I was much younger. And uh, my dad's friend actually owned a jewelry store in town and needed a salesperson. So I said, okay, great. Well, you know, how much are you going to pay? And he said, I'll pay you six fifty. You know, this is like, you know, the time back then. I was like, well, yeah, 50 cents more, I'll, I'll take it. So I started working there. Um, eventually, I became to uh, manage the place. Uh, we specialized in custom design, so I did a lot of the sketching and everything, but I never actually made anything myself. I thought, no, I just want to be up front and dress up and talk to people. I don't, I don't want to get dirty and whatnot, you know. And um, so eventually, I spent about 15 years there, and he was looking to retire soon, and I was actually had hoped that I would take over. And the store kind of went in a different direction, and I all of a sudden kind of felt kind of claustrophobic. Um, I just felt like there was more out there, you know, I just knew it. So I quit. Um, I went to my house and I didn't know what I was going to do exactly. I just said, no, there's something else. And my dad said, you should, you should go to GIA. And I said, well, that's a good idea. You know, you don't hear too much about it um, in the small towns. You know, it's not like everybody's going there or any of my friends have gone there or anything. So I said, well, okay, great. So I applied for a scholarship, and I actually received their, I think it was their 70th or something like that, scholarship for jewelry design. Mm -hmm. I was super excited, and of course, I picked the Carlsbad campus. So I went out to uh, Carlsbad and took that course, and then while I was out there, my family was like, you should take all the courses. And the thing is that it's hard to get financial aid from them, especially if you're not living on campus. Uh, So I started to do my um, gemology degree distance. Um, Actually, that was right before I went out. When I got to campus, we would kind of save money, my dad, and um, to help pay for schooling and everything to take each class. So I couldn't necessarily sign up to do the whole six months. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, okay, great, you did jewelry design, and can I get into the next part of that? And can I get into the next part of that? And eventually I couldn't get into the last one for the uh, applied jewelry art. Mm-hmm. So I went back to Michigan for a few months, and then I had to go back up to California just to finish the cat part. And after that was done, we decided that I should do – the graduate jeweler, because it was the last program left for me. I thought, oh, my God, no way. I don't want to do that. You know, I don't, I don't want to be in there with torches. I don't want to cut myself up and do all that. So I went in to do it. You know, I was like, I'm going to do this. And my dad was like, well, you should, you should learn it because if you're ever running your own business, then you, you would know what quality is good. You would know how long it takes to size a ring or how to do it. Okay, that's a good idea. I'll do it. So anyway... I started it, and then I'm, it, it went pretty well until the first torch day. And at the torch day, I was um, <laughs> I was going to be my pants. I was so scared. Anyway, it turned out I loved it. It was my passion. It just something came from me inside that I just never even knew was there. You know, it it was the most exciting thing for me. I just I couldn't wait to get to class every day. I would go to every night lab, even though I didn't need to be there for night lab. Some of my instructors would help me out and say I was behind on a project so I could go. Because I didn't have access to all the torch and everything at home in Michigan, and I figured when I go back to Michigan, I should I should have as much experience as I can. Right? Mm-hmm. So um, I started creating things, and they were teaching me things, and it just just awoke this passion inside me, and it just filled me with I guess happiness. But it just really surprised me at such a 
point in my life that I actually wanted to do that when I could have learned before, but no, I didn't want to do it then, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so anyway, I I did pretty well in the class. I, I'm not a kind of person that, you know, if I get a B, I want to get an A. I'll I'll work really hard, do whatever it takes. I want to be the best, you know, for myself. Uh So anyway, when I, when I graduated, they offered me a job as an instructor. They didn't have one at the time. So they made one for me, which was pretty cool. Um, I helped with with product development, I did quality control, and I got to teach the students, which was really neat because I remember how scared I was when I turned on the torch for the first time. So it was a lot of fun for me. Um, teaching was uh, also very rewarding. But then I got to the point again where I kind of felt like I wanted to do more. And as far as like the jewelry that I make now, when you work at GIA, it's a nonprofit organization. So you can't really do your own thing and be selling it and then also teaching the students because they don't want any conflict of interest going on. Mm-hmm. So I had to make that decision, and I chose to depart from GIA to start my own business. And I guess let me rewind for a second um, to give you a little bit more idea about who I am. Okay. Um, but while I was in uh, working at the jewelry store in Port Huron, I achieved five different um, college diplomas, everything from graphic design to art to film to business management um, and education. So I kind of guess I wanted to do everything. Uh-huh. So it wasn't just a, a clear path for me. You know, I kind of did a lot of different things, and then finally, I just when I fell into the jewelry, I realized that's what I wanted to do. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, did I just ramble on there? No, no, it was it was great. It was a perfect timeline. And then when you get to the well, let me rewind and tell you that I have five other degrees. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, wait. as if you're not already talented enough in your jewelry design and did everything there was to do at GIA, Mm -hmm. you have this incredible resource of knowledge behind you. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty proud of that. Um, I've been able to use a lot of the different aspects of the degrees into the business today. Like you said, you saw the signs or even the Mm -hmm. name, um, which is really great. Helps me when I do the websites and all that great stuff to have a background in that. And it's nice because we don't have to have someone else do it, especially someone else that maybe isn't familiar with the industry. Right. I kind of feel like I'd just rather do it myself. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Coming from a men's formal wear shop where you, you sold tuxedos, is that right? Um, yeah. I, mean, I, was, I, was, uh, I would do the tuxedos. It was kind of like a president tuxedo, and a friend owned it, and so I helped out, and I did that. So that was one of my first jobs, you know. And I uh, kind of got lured away by that 50-cent raise, you know, and that was big money back in the day. <laughs> I've been in the industry now for probably over 23 years. So you got to think, like, nowadays people would laugh. But back in the day, that was good money. <laughs> yeah, sure. But it led you to a path that was just, it, it just kept on branching out and opening mm-hmm. more doors. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I tend to gravitate a lot towards um, the women designers anyway, or maybe because mm-hmm. we are women and we kind of have an idea of what what appeals to us. But mm-hmm. I really do like supporting the women artists and jewelers and metalsmiths. I think we're in a really good time where where the career opportunities are accelerating, and it's really an exciting yeah. time to be in the jewelry yeah. industry. Don't don't you think? Do you see that as well? I agree. I agree. Yeah. And. I hate to bring up stuff like this, but it's, it's a lot harder for women in this industry. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. So I think it's important for women to help each other. And along the path, it was really hard to find women that were willing to help, mm-hmm. actually. 
Um, but I think that, you know, if someone wants to learn something or if they want to borrow a tool, I think that we should teach them, whether it's the next generation or someone who's the same age group. I mean, I, I just want all of us to get ahead. I want all of us to see our dreams and have it come to fruition at some point, you know, and I think that the support is important. Absolutely. I, I love that you see it that way, too. Well, I remember reading in Southern Jewelry News your story about the crown. And once again, I didn't mm-hmm. make the connection, but when I was kind of doing a little bit of research before our phone call today, I went back mm-hmm. and I looked at your press page and how you made that. Is it a crown or a tiara? Yes. It, well, it's, it's technically a crown. It is okay. fully all the way around. So okay. I, I would call that a crown uh, myself, but I guess you could also call it a tiara. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't lose my marbles whenever there's a crown or a tiara involved, so you've got to tell me that. It was that quite a challenge. Story. It was quite a challenge. Um, a friend of ours is a, a goldsmith in Denmark, and the team for uh, actually Miss Denmark approached him and said, we'd like a crown. And he was kind of a, a beginning goldsmith and really didn't, you know, still a little wet behind the ears and everything, but a good friend. And uh, so he came to me and he said, Mary, I have to make this crown, but and he was actually going to physically make it. And he said, but I, I really don't know, you know, about how big it should be or what it should look like. I've never designed anything like that. And I said, well, well, yeah, I'd love to help you with that. So anyway, I started and, um, you know, I think I posted online some different pictures of the sketches and just kind of going about it to, to what I thought it would be. And they had certain requirements that they wanted. You know, they wanted a, a mermaid on the front of it. Um, so there was a mermaid that was put in and, and all that good stuff. But it was actually like we started making some pieces to test it. And there's things you don't think about because I've never made a crown before, right? I'm like, well, I have the design. And then like, well, how is it going to fit on the head? How heavy is it going to be on the head? So we had to do some test pieces to make sure that it could be worn. You know, do we have to put some padding inside of it? Because um, it's rather a large undertaking. In the, in the crown itself, there was over, I believe, 2,500 uh, Melly stones that were set mm-hmm. into it, all set by hand. The whole thing was uh, cast and made by hand. Ladies and gentlemen, I apologize for interrupting your Jewelry Navigator podcast, but I'm here with some in-flight jewelry terminology. First of all, Isn't that an amazing story that Mary got to design a crown? Well, when she mentioned the word Melly, those of you who are in the trade know what that means, but those of you who are not, Melly is a term for a smaller gemstone, typically round, but anything smaller than a fifth of a carat or 20 points, technically by GIA terms, is a Melly. So it's any kind of small gemstone And it's what people refer to as like the little teeny gemstones that are accent diamonds, especially. Those are called Melly. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Please sit back and relax and enjoy the rest of the episode. So it was pretty cool and it had to go to the pageant people to get approved, of course. And then um, once it was approved, they went into making it over there and the goldsmith that brought us in on the the project is actually the one that made it. And it took some time because, you know, it's obviously a large project. So it took about, I think, two years to get it to to completion where actually it was presented to the pageant, which is really exciting, you know, and being over here in the States, we don't hear a whole lot after, you know, what happens and everything because it was made there. But um, they seem to be very happy with it. I'm very happy with it. There was a 
a couple things in the design that I might have done a little bit differently that maybe didn't get relate to the goldsmith there. But, you know, I think it looks fabulous. I certainly can't complain. And, and I think it's going to be a beautiful addition to anybody that wins that pageant. Oh, my gosh. Have you seen it on any of the contestants yet? I've seen some pictures. I'm not supposed to release any photos. They have all the rights, actually. Um, I have the rights to the sketch and everything and the, the design, but they actually, what part of the project was that they get all rights to photography and releasing photos and everything, and that's why I have, like, one photo to work with. That's, that's it that the actual jeweler took. Um, but everything else is up to them. They have, to, they have the rights to all of it. So I've seen sneak peeks, but nothing's been posted with her on it yet. I'm not sure if they've used it. Um, in one of the pageants yet since it's been completed or if they're waiting for a special anniversary or something. Um, you get a little out of the loop when you're across the, the pond over here, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was very exciting. It was very exciting. That is really exciting. So mm-hmm. did you say that it was just recently completed and that's why it hasn't kind of been. Uh, yes, uh, actually like they estimated, I remember they kept telling um, the pageant people that, oh, it'll be done in like a month. It'll be done in two months. And then casting problems happened because like one of the, the first things that happened was um, it was hard to find someone that could cast pieces that big, you know, uh, for each tier. Cause normally most jewelry people don't cast pieces that are like are crown size. So mm-hmm. our casting, like the casting equipment I have is small. It'll cast rings and, and little pendants and stuff, but it won't cast something that's like eight inches tall. So, there was trial and error with someone that could do that. And then, okay, now it gets pushed back and then different things would just kind of come up, but it was our first time making a crown. So we didn't, it's not like there was a guidebook. Right. So eventually, right. and then the, the jeweler over there, you know, he had to, he had to hand set all those stones. That was one thing was they wanted it made in Denmark. Um, so he hand set all the stones and that took some time too. And not to mention, I mean, that's a crazy job. I tell you what, your hands would definitely need some rest in between those two. You're setting all those stones by hand. <laughs> right. And he's a small goldsmith too. So it's not like he's a, you know, he's still up and coming. So it's not like he has like a full production thing there ready to go. Uh-huh. But um, so, so that's kind of how that went. But yeah, it was just completed a few months ago, actually, which I'm kind of sad, sad to say because it was, it took probably about two years to get it into to completion. Okay. All right. Well, we'll definitely have to be on the lookout for me, and you'll have to tag me. Yeah, definitely. The first time you see yes. it on ahead. Definitely, I will. I definitely okay. will. Okay, good. <laughs> so what are some of the visions and inspiration behind your designs? Like one of the um, one of the most recent publications that you've been featured in, I love this um, this gemologist and the writer, Diana mm-hmm. Jarrett. She's just seems like such a lovely person and she oh god she does i haven't met her in person but wow she's fabulous yeah she's she really seems like it um but she featured you in Rappaport magazine for your for your aria tell me about that yeah that was pretty exciting you know um when it came to peace she told me that there was quite a few pieces that were submitted um the other one that was selected was another designer that i know because there were two pieces that were used in the article and he does fabulous work as well so it was pretty exciting, and I wasn't really sure if it was going to be in there or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just kind of wait till the magazine comes out. And then the magazine came out, and it was nearly impossible for me to get my hands on the copy. So I still didn't know if I was in it or not. And finally, I saw one, and that's when I realized that they had used it. And it was, it was incredibly exciting for me because, you know, over the years, it's been a lot of hard work and a lot of struggle. And you come to a lot of points where you're just like, I'm just going to give up. And, but you don't. You can't. You just can't give up. I think mm-hmm. too many people say, this is it. And no matter what, you just find a way. If that's your dream is and that's what you want, you just keep going. Don't ever give up because that one time that you give up might have been the time it made it happen. So for me this year with Rappaport, it was great 
it's a national publication. I mean, it's phenomenal. And right before that, I did the article for um, Lapidary uh, Jewelry Artist. And yeah. that one really surprised me, too, because I had no idea that I was going to be on the cover. I had no idea it was going to be such a big article. I had no idea that they do so many pieces in, my mag- in the magazine. So as I was flipping through the PDF, I'm like, oh, my God, there's another one and another one. And then after that one came out, then the Rappaport came out. And now, um, actually, Jam A is releasing um, an article there, a British magazine, um, with one of the stones that I cut because mm-hmm. I, I do dabble a little bit in stone cutting. So that's pretty exciting to get one of those and, and coming into print, too, in their next issue. So I feel yeah. like this year a lot of stuff has been really happening this year. It's been really, really great. That is. Well, you're pretty awesome, so it should happen. <laughs> <laughs> so where does Todd fit in in all of this? I know you two are partners. So when I was at GIA as, a, as an instructor, um, he was also there as a student before we had known each other because there were certain tools that I needed in my class when I was learning bench, bench jewelry, and some of them were kind of pricey, and I needed one of small hands, so they said, go see Todd. And so I went to this Todd guy, and I said, hey, can I borrow your bench, mate? I really need to use it. And he's like, sure. So anyway, after that, um, when I graduated, I didn't really have a place to live because I was only where I was renting was only through school. But then I got a job. So I thought, oh, my God, what am I, what am I going to do? So I'm looking around everywhere, trying to, you know, figure out what I, where I can afford to be. And actually, Todd said, you know, my roommate just graduated, and I have two extra rooms if you want to rent one. And um, I said, well, sure, that would be great, you know. I mean, better than, you know, finding somebody on Craigslist. And so we ended up being roommates. When I left the job at GIA, he was working um, at a, with a jeweler in, um, in, Car- in the Carlsbad area. That's where we were living at. And we said, what do you want to do? You know, I said, I really want to do my jewelry. He said, I really want to sell my stones. And I said, well, hey, why don't we go into business together? And he's like, well, that's a great idea, you know, right? right? Why not? So we, we, I kind of coined the name Tucson Todd's. I thought it was catchy or whatever and uh, cute. So we're like, let's do it. So we started doing shows. And we started with two shows. It was uh, Santa Ana and then the Tucson show. And I was like, we need more shows. We need to really, like, grab the bull by the horns and just go for it. So we started adding in a lot more shows. Um, and now we do, I think, 12 or 13 across the country each year. So as far as the jewelry, what happened, it was really cool because if you as a jeweler don't know anyone that cuts stones, it, it limits your abilities to really what you can produce and create. And I'd like to say I have a lot of, of strange things that go on in my head that, oh, that'd be a great piece. But how do you do it? So it worked out really well. When I made the first architect piece, I took it to Todd, and I said, hey, I need you to cut me some stones. And he says, well, sure, what do you need, like some 8-millimeter rounds? But actually, no, I need this. And I showed him the piece, and he looked at me for a second, really funny, and said, are you serious? And I said, yeah. So we had to sit down and actually cut each angle of it to get a pattern of the stones. And then once he had figured it out, I said, okay, I need like 20 more because we're going to do a collection. <laughs> so it's really, really great collaboration because he cuts, you know, he does all the stone cutting and he sells the stones and I sell the jewelry. And sometimes he'll cut a stone that inspires me. So I'll take that stone and make just a one of a kind piece for it. Or um, when it comes time for, for new production or new ideas, it, it pretty much leaves my options endless. I can do just about anything because he can cut just about anything that I would need which I think is really great. That is really great. So you basically have your own custom lapidary at your, you know, at your hands. Yes, exactly. Hands. Oh my exactly, I do. It's, it's fabulous, you know, and then on the reverse, I help him with jewelry stuff if he's thinking about doing things, and, you know, he's also a goldsmith, so a lot of times when he cuts, like, some big, expensive, rare stone, I'll, I'll have him set it just, just in case, you know, because I feel really bad if something happened and he just cut this big, beautiful stone. 
So that works out really well too. But we do all the, of our own production as well. So it gets really busy around uh, October, November when we're trying to ramp up to get ready for Tucson because we handle all the setting, the casting, the production, all that good stuff on all the pieces, whether it's fabrication or cast or whatever we need to do. It's all done by us. Okay. Oh, gosh, that's so wonderful. I love to hear that. It's all really is cool. Internal. Yeah. You guys have set up a perfect arrangement. It's really mm-hmm. smart, really smart. It, it works out perfectly, you know, and everyone always says, hey, you know, what's going on? And I'm like, you know what? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. We have a really great business relationship. You know, it works out well. There's no reason to, to mess around with that or anything. Um, we have a great time. We're best friends. Get to see the country and, and get to do things that we love. So That's fantastic. Oh, what a great mm-hmm. story. I'm so glad it worked out so well for both of you. Yeah, it's been great. It's oh. been really great. That's really neat. So what else can you tell me about your jewelry? I'm just, I'm looking on your website and I see the okay. architect collection, which is really cool. What do you call that shape? It's kind of like a... I call it, um, it's kind of a shape I made up. I like to call it maybe a modified shield. Um, yeah. Okay. I guess for, for me, my inspirations in my jewelry is I feel that, you know, if you notice, I don't do a lot with diamond jewelry. Mm-hmm. Um it's not like same with you. It's not that I don't love it or anything, but I just love the colored stones. Mm-hmm. And the other thing now that works really well for us is like we're, we're kind of known as the garnet people. We love garnets. We try to get as many different varieties of garnets and rarities for collectors or, or whoever just wants to own a garnet or whatever it may be, um, which is really cool because it's easier for treatments. You know, garnets really can't be treated. There's, a, there's one that can be mildly heated. But beyond that, the color you see is the color it came out of the earth. Nowadays with diamonds, I mean, the lab-grown, the synthetic, and all these different things happening, I'm glad I'm in colored stones. <laughs> yeah. But as far as the designs, I think if you have a really beautiful colored stone, you need a lot around it. I mean, simplicity is key to me. I feel that, you know, just really feature that stone, emphasize that stone. You don't need to, to put a 1,000 diamonds around it necessarily. Um, but for me, I take each stone as it comes. Like with the Aria piece, um, I have one as well with the Demantoid and Halloween, and I just I felt like it just needed a little bit of sparkle with uh, that Demantoid because they sparkle mm-hmm. so brightly, yeah. you know, and I, I thought it worked out perfectly. But um, on the rest of the designs, it's more or less I let the, sp- the stones speak to me, and I try to give them what they need. And I do try to be different. That shape is kind of my signature shape. I'll use that in a lot of, th- a lot of jewelry. Another good reason is um, it's a lot harder to knock it off. <laughs> ah. Smart, you know. I mean, it's very smart because nowadays, so many designers they, you know, they get knocked off. It's it's horrible what's happening on the internet with people, you know, using other designers' photos to try to sell to people. And um, it's really cool because that shape is definitely something that's a little bit harder to to mass produce. Right, right. And you know who cuts it for you, so it can be exactly. We know where everything comes from. We handle every aspect of it. Yeah, and that's even more special. More people are interested to know that the people who are working with the stones know where the stones came from. So exactly, having, yeah, having that kind of ethical traceability is mm-hmm. becoming more important to people. So mm-hmm. that just is so nicely tied in neatly with all of your jewelry. Well, thank you, thank you. I also try to uh, recycle metals as well. Um, in some pieces too, which people seem to really like, you know, cause there's no, you know, nobody's going out to dig it. Nobody's doing any of that stuff, not messing with mother nature. It just, it's just recycled and used again to make another right. piece. Right. Yeah, exactly. 
There's always that question, well, why is jewelry so expensive? Why is it, what would make it valuable? And that's a, it's a hard question to answer. Well, first of all. It really is. Yeah. The gemstones that we're working with are truly rare because mm-hmm. to get one that is, you know, clean enough and something that's going to hold up to being faceted, there's so many so many components that go into a piece of jewelry and exactly. workmanship and things like that. But when people ask me about, you know, um, investment type jewelry Mm -hmm. for for gemstones. Do you have anybody who comes to you for something that would be like a really valuable collector piece that would? Yes, we do. We actually, um, we have a lot of collectors that come from us, what come to us, whether they want to buy, sometimes they'll buy a single stone that's not mounted. It's just maybe a large one from that deposit when there's no more available and they take them and, you know, put them in their safe or wait for later, and some of them not sure what they do. But mm-hmm. the same with the jewelry, too, especially, you know, if it's been published or something like that, you do get a lot of jewelry collectors that come through, and they want something that's one of a kind. They want something unique. They want something that nobody else is wearing. And that's where I come from. You know, it's so easy, like the store I worked at, we would make a lot of this stuff, but a lot of it was, you know, you open a catalog and you say, oh, you want a, you want a ring? Here you go, which one? We ordered it and set the stones. I want... Whoever's wearing it, whether it's a woman or a man, I'll say a woman, for example, I want that woman to feel so special that that piece is made just for her. My hands were on it. Todd's hands were on it. Nobody else's hands were on it. Every part of it was carefully inspected by us and made with love. You know, we put everything we have into everything we do, and we are so passionate about this. I would never let a piece go out that had something wrong or I didn't feel was absolutely perfect in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want them to look at that piece, say it's a ring, and just every day know. I want it to show them how unique they are, how special they are, how much they deserve something that's just for them. Because I don't want something that every other woman on earth has. I don't want to hold a ring up to a friend of mine and they, oh, I have the same one, you know, because women are unique and as well as men. I'm just using women for the example, but women are unique. We're all different and we're all special and we should be made to feel special every day. Oh my gosh, you couldn't have said it more perfectly. That's exactly, that was actually one of the reasons why I started Jewelry Navigator is Mm -hmm. I wanted to show and educate the public that there's more to jewelry than all of the mass produced jewelry that comes into, you know, most jewelry stores. Exactly. And even the small independent stores, you know, they they do their best unless they're truly a custom shop they're not going to have something that everybody else isn't going to have. And that's what I really wanted to share with people. And that's what I do share with people are pieces and gemstones that are truly unique. What vision do you have for, for Mary Vandere pieces and, and Tucson Todd? Well, well, for me going forward, um, you know, when I, like you said, sometimes doors close and then other ones open. So when you first say, Hey, I'm going to become a jeweler. You don't even realize that that's what you want to be at first, you know? First, you want to be a graphic designer. Then you want to go into film. And then you get all these different degrees. And then things happen and you take steps and doors open, like you said. So when I first started, um, not first started, but got to the point where people were like, you need to make collections. I said, okay, that's great. I'm going to make collections. So I did that, you know? And that's great. But now I'm getting to the point where I have the collections and I really want to start focusing on just one of a kind. Mm-hmm. I want Todd to cut it like he has um, right now. He has this gorgeous, I think it's four five carat uh, Montana sapphire and it's Asher cut and it's blue and it's green. And I love the oddity about it, that it has this 
you know, really gorgeous blue with like these green just kind of breaking in and just doing different zoning. And so we pulled it out of the case because I want to make something with it. And that one I think I'll make into maybe an engagement ring or something because it's just such an extraordinary stone. So we have a pile of those stones that are waiting, you know, to get designs. And as as more things sell, we, we make more things. So for me, like I've been self-funded the whole time. So when I started out, I had maybe seven pieces I had made and then I sell some and then now I have 10 pieces and then now I have 15. And now, now I actually have a lot more because I've, it's the way I've always just done it. You know, and mm-hmm. I think that's smart is to do that because it's hard to, when you're self-employed, it's hard to just go to the bank and say, can I get a loan for like 40,000 for this collection? You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it makes it difficult. So you just have to make it work. But for me going forward, I want to focus on more uh, single pieces, more one-of-a-kind pieces, um, different things that he cuts that inspire me. It happens a lot where he'll cut it and take it off the top, and I'm like, no, I just see the most beautiful pendant for that or the most beautiful ring, and I really want to kind of go that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, that is exciting. And I guess, too, I've, I've had a, a lot of people that have asked me, you know, where inspirations come from, and to me, inspiration is important, and I'll touch base on that for just a second. I feel that inspiration you can get anywhere. You know, if you're just ready for it, if you're open to it, you can go stand in the middle of a forest and breathe it in and close your eyes and listen to the sounds and just let it inspire you. And I think that so many people, they go through life and it's, they get up and they go to work and they come home and they make dinner and they go to bed and they forget about all this beautiful, beautiful stuff that's happening in the world around you. And I think it's so important to wake up to that if you want to be inspired, to just let it, let it affect you, you know, be aware that it's there. And the same with the jewelry, you know, I mean, I get inspirations from everywhere. I've, I've done pieces where it's very strange and off the wall, and I've done very natural organic pieces. It just depends, I guess, on how I feel or what I'm working with and how it inspires me. But I get a lot of people that come to me because Todd and I, we love to teach. That's a little bit different about our booth is when you come in, we'll show you everything. We'll tell you about everything. There's never any pressure to buy anything because we only want things to get bought by people that love them. They want, mm-hmm. I want them all to go to a good home. So we love to teach about everything and people come in and they want to learn cutting or they want to learn jewelry making. So we'll talk to them about that or teach them about the stones or whatever it is. It's just a very safe space and just to come and have some fun. So I feel like the people, you know, they ask me a lot of different things, including, you know, inspirations. And another one they ask me is um, how do I get into it? You know, or even with GIA or whatever. And I tell them, you know, check the scholarships. There's always great scholarship programs for people that want to get into gemology or jewelry making and want to start to learn. Or I tell them, check your local college, too, or local rock club, and they're great places to learn as well. That's really good. Those are really good ideas. And one topic that I'm going to address at some point, probably closer to uh, back to school, is where people can look into going back to school to get into mm-hmm. jewelry, whether it's what, you know, they want to find gemstones or facet them or become a designer. I think generating the next generation, no matter how old you are, so many people exactly. go back to school or having second and third careers, mm-hmm. it's so wide open to possibility that, um, yeah, and that's so great that you and Todd are so open to sharing your information. And it is so important to educate people so excited to talk to you and hear more of your story. We touched a lot of a lot of bases. Um, I know. If they want to know any more, if they want to learn anything, or they're not sure which direction to go, I'm always welcome to helping people. I'm always free for that, for emails or whatever they need. I, I just really want other people to be able to achieve their dreams too, no matter what point they are in their life, whether it's the jewelry making or even gemology, because 
I tell you what, doing that distance graduate gemology was a nightmare. <laughs> that was the hardest course I did, you know, but you, had, you just have to stick with it. And if you don't have a support team, it makes it a lot harder. So I think that having a support team is really great. So I have a lot of young women that I mentor and, um, and help because I want their lives to be better. I want them to achieve what they want to achieve out of life and not give up. Oh, that's great, Mary. Where can people reach you? What's your email address? Um, my email address is mary at maryvanderaw.com. Um, okay. There's a link right off the website. And like I said, I'm happy to help. I also participate in a lot of groups on Facebook. The Sisterhood of Metalsmiths is a really great group for uh, women that are looking to learn things or to help each other, support each other. It's a, it's a fantastic group. Okay. I'm just writing that down. That's, and Yeah, it's a great group. Tell me the correct way to pronounce your last name. I'll tell you a funny story about this to end this. Um, well, not to end it, but okay. So growing up, um, well, my father is from the Netherlands. He came over when um, his father came over first and came over and was living in Sarnia, Ontario. And uh, my mom's from Detroit and my dad was hitchhiking to Florida and my mom picked him up. It's, it's a funny story, but anyway, so growing up, um, Vandera or Vandere, um, my teachers would always say, uh, Vander, Vander, ah, and I would say, no, it's Vander A. And I would correct it my whole life. And then finally I went to the Netherlands and I found out it was Vander Ah. And the reason being is because I grew up in Michigan and a lot of us have that, you know, we say mom and dad and, and, and pop. <laughs> so I would actually correct the, the wrong, when they would say it correctly, I would correct them to the wrong way to pronounce it. And I always thought that was the way it was. But um, interestingly enough, it's, um, it actually means of the uh, river in Holland, and that's why the only capitalization is the second-to-last A. Um, so that's how they, cause it's how they used to name people was where they lived at. So I thought that was pretty cool. But actually, yes, it's Vander A, not Vander A, unless you live in Michigan like I did. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's great. I love the history of your name because it's so unusual, first of all. Mm-hmm. And thank you. Yeah, I wasn't sure how to pronounce it. And I saw one of your videos and you pronounced it Vanderay. So I guess it's really mm-hmm. correct either, either way. I think it's a tomato, tomato kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Well, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much. I will. And I just want to thank you again. I just want to thank you. Just thank you so much. I really appreciate it all. Just Thank you very much. I can't thank you enough. Mary, I really appreciate it. Okay. Well, have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So what did you think? I loved Mary's story. I mean, when I met her in Tucson, I knew there was something fabulous about her just besides the gems that she has set in her jewelry and working with Todd and him being able to custom cut gemstones for her designs. It's just a fabulous operation and the two of them work so well together. Speaking of the two of them, they are going to be in New Jersey this weekend at the New Jersey Mineral Fossil Gem and Jewelry Show. And that's in Edison, New Jersey. So if you're in that area, See if you can go by. But she's there today through Sunday, April 7th, at the New Jersey Convention and Expo Center. That's in Edison, New Jersey. Try to swing by and visit them. They are in booth 875. Sharing the jewelry and the talent that I discover, especially of women designers, has become kind of gravitated towards it. 
I'm not really sure why. It's not that the guys don't do just as wonderful work. In fact, I have some really exciting guests coming up in the next few weeks who who are who are men who do wonderful work. But there's just something about the women. I love to cheer them on and what they make and do is just as incredible as any jeweler. So thanks so much for joining me today and hearing Mary's story. Give her a shout out, follow her on Instagram, as well as Tucson Todd. And until next time, cross-check your sparkle. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.